Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Popmosis Film. Uh, today we have a special guest for uh, with us. It's Vito Lapacola. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. And thank you for coming along on, on our journey. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, my name is Vito Lapacola. I am uh, one of the co-creators of Comics on Comics, which was one of the very first nerd podcasts. We started in 2008. Uh, we still uh, we were on the Sideshow Network for a while. Um, the Sideshow Network kind of went bye-bye, so now we do live events at like Comic-Con and San Diego and things like that. I'm also one of the co-hosts of So Fast, So Furious, the ultimate Fast and the Furious podcast, uh, where Dominic Toretto lives his life one quarter mile at a time. We watch the Fast and the <laughs> Furious movies a quarter hour at a time and then break those 15 minutes down into agonizing detail. So um, and I've, I've my co-hosts uh, are Zach Bassetta and Anthony Ray Bench. Yes. And uh, you would not believe what you could mine out of a 15-minute segment of a, of a Fast and the Furious movie. Um, so far, we've like been lucky enough to have uh, the director of the very first film. Yeah, yeah, we we break it down. When I when I say in agonizing detail, we mean agonizing detail. But uh, we were lucky enough to get Rob Cohen, the director of the first film, on. We had scheduled oh, wow. John Singleton, may he rest in peace, and no lie, he passed away like two weeks before we were supposed to record the episode. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was kind of oh, breaking okay. our hearts. Um, but yeah, and so um, we have worked our way through uh, the first four or five movies. We're watching them chronologically instead of, uh, I mean, chronologically story-wise versus uh, the movies. So we watched one, two, four, five, uh, six, three, and then we're going to watch seven, eight, and nine, and then Hobbs and Shaw. So we're working our way through the movies, and it's been a blast. It's pretty amazing. With fans uh, oh, awesome. all around the world, we started last year in in uh, February or March. We have fans in 30 countries around the world. Uh, it's been pretty crazy. It like blew up almost immediately. It was really cool. Cool, cool. Awesome. I heard they're going to bring back Han, right? at the For the new Fast and Furious, they're going to bring yeah, oh, Han yeah. back? It's, and it's like, that's crazy. They spoiled it in the trailer. Yeah, they spoiled it oh, in yeah. the trailer where it shows him like, walk in. and Yeah, but I, I think he's going to be a bad guy, but uh, we'll wait and see. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Han's my favorite so, character, so like I'm I'm overjoyed oh, yeah, he's that he's coming character. back. Totally. I have, um, seen, I have seen Tokyo oh. Drift and 15 minutes of Too Fast, Too Furious, and... You'll figure out why I've only seen 15 minutes of Too Fast, Too Furious in the two-hour episode of So Fast, So Furious podcast. <laughs> so Rob Cohen, that director, I was supposed to, I was actually supposed to work as his assistant, and I was going to replace this guy that oh. I knew through another guy. But here's the thing. I was so excited. I sent an email really quickly, and I guess it had some grammatical errors. And then the person that, like, referred me, like, lost their mind and, like, chewed me out, and, like, they like they wouldn't hire me, like, wouldn't, like, yeah, it sucked. I was supposed to like work, like be his assistant. That would have been like my That's big break crazy. in Hollywood that never happened because of my bad grammar. Because like you know, it was like he's like, you better email him right now. And yeah, that was and it was probably That's... in two thousand six or so. So <laughs> that that didn't. It's happen. a little crazy grammar. that they got you on the grammar. It yeah. was terrible. It was really bad. 
Because my, I think like you know, I had a resume, and I think the resume was fine, and I like, I, it was like you know, like a two short paragraph email, and I don't even know what was wrong with it. Like that upset me. A spelled lot, excited I, with two G's. You spelled it excited. <laughs> who knows? So, yeah. Uh, along with Vita joining us on, on the ride uh, is uh, Josiah, who just was talking, and also Tyler. So go and say hello, boys. Hi. Hi. Yippee ki yay, motherfuckers. Yes. Awesome, awesome. So the movie we're doing today is actually, it's uh, Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. And uh, as I was watching this movie, I actually did some research on it. And the funny thing is, it's actually based on a novel called Nothing Lasts Forever, and uh, which is equal to the book called uh, The Detective, which Frank Sinatra actually played the detective uh, Joseph Leland. And so when they were um, going to make this movie, he was actually offered the role of Joseph Leland. They were actually going to redo uh, this movie was going to be a sequel to that. But at the time, it's like uh, Frank Sinatra's 73 years old. There's no way he can run around Nakatomi Plaza and like shoot up Hans Gruber or anything like that. Jesus, so he passed. I, I, I'm sorry. I actually, now, to do... now I really wish we got that, 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 that version now. Just like as a joke. Of the elderly Frank Sinatra, <laughs> yeah. just like I'm trying to prove his way. Well, it was it was a it was a, con- a contractual obligation that they had to offer him the the sequel. So uh, this was like mm-hmm. completely devised separately. So there's a famous story I, I, I that I've heard in Hollywood. I've never heard of it's true that the rights for this were picked up because the producer saw the cover of the book and it had like a building with helicopters flying around it and like people shooting guns. And they bought the rights based on that. That so was they judged, they judged yeah, the book by its didn't cover. read yeah and didn't read it yeah. didn't know what it was about and just but just purchased the rights based on that. And then it was like then it was like oh by the way we just bought a book that technically Frank Sinatra was already attached to. So Crazy they like and they had that, to offer it to him. <laughs> yeah, they they was bought the rights to the book to make it as the sequel to Commando. Believe it or not, because Steven D'Souza, oh. who wrote Commando, wanted them to get the rights to the book so they could do it as the sequel. So it was set up to be a Schwarzenegger film. But when they realized that Sinatra was supposed to be in it and he turned it down, they started pitching it to all these different people. And every person in Hollywood turned it down. And I'm talking like all the way from Schwarzenegger to Stallone, all the way down to like Don wow. Johnson and like Lorenzo Lamas. Everybody turned this movie down and Bruce Willis was like the absolute last choice and nobody wanted him in the movie. And he ended up being the perfect choice, which is Yo, wasn't the like typical a Hollywood story. TV, right? Was Moonlighting. He was on Moonlighting on television. Moonlighting. He was, he was on yeah. Moonlighting. Yeah. And, uh, right. It was okay. Sybil Shepard. Mm-hmm. Sybil Shepard. And here's the crazy thing, too, is Sybil Shepard got pregnant during the filming and it caused an 11 week delay. And that 11 week delay happened to line up with the shooting of Die Hard and it allowed oh, him to yeah. work on the movie. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, um, uh, I'm just going to say, this is my second time watching this film. I watched this when I was a kid with my dad, I think around 12 and I have not seen it since. And I have a lot of things so to good. say, but I'll wait. And uh, Paul, you're our moderator. Uh, I'm so sorry. No, no, you're fine. Go ahead. Um, I mean, basically, it, it kind of segues to my first question. Is um, well, can I give first... us the rundown? Oh yeah, yeah, that's so we, right. We kind of um, we kind of touched on some hit... of these things, right? Josiah, let, go ahead and hit us with the with the production information. Christmas time gets um, us so excited. We just want to talk about it. <laughs> I know we want to get to the, the movie. Well, it's, it's been a while since I moderated, so I'm kind of rough. 
It's oh, been okay. a couple months, actually. So this is this is my favorite part. This is like my thing because this is what I love about movies. The people that made yeah, them. Like you're, I saw you're like waiting in the wings. Like, well, you're like no, you got to some of it. So like you you know we got so we, <laughs> as, we have Die Hard released on July twentieth, nineteen eighty eight. Directed as Paul mentioned by John McTiernan, who was coming off of directing Predator. Uh, he'd, he'd go on to direct uh, the best sequel to Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, my favorite of the Die Hard sequels. Hunt for Red October, the underrated last action hero. I think it's a really legit good movie. Paul mentioned the novel by Roderick Thorpe, uh, the screenplay, the, which which was called uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, and uh, the screenplay was Terrible by Jim. Title, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, which that the original movie was released in 1968. So, you know, this is like 20 years later, too. So Frank Sinatra reprising his role 20 years later. There, there's a version of that movie that would be interesting, but not this version, for sure. Dude, it would have been so fascinating, though, to see Sinatra call in the mob to take out Hans Gruber. Well, because the big difference is he's uh, in the in the book. It is, you know, he is an older detective, but it's his daughter as opposed to his wife. So it's his like a strange daughter that he's going to see instead of his, his wife. Um, and I've never read it, so I... I don't want to pretend because normally like I like to be the guy who like read the book on these things, but I can't claim that on this one, uh, but written by Jeb Stewart uh, and Stephen D'Souza, who you mentioned. So Jeb Stewart, this was his big break. Um, he also would go on the right fugitive and he wrote and directed the underrated action movie switchback in, uh, in 1997, a really good movie to check out. Um, and, but Stephen That's D'Souza a really is mighty like, big word underrated. <laughs> yeah. Well, under no one knows has seen it. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why, but that that name just reminds kidding. me of like of like face <laughs> off, and I'm just like I don't know. It's the first thing that I think I think switch of back, kind of yeah, yeah. switch back face off. I don't know. <laughs> it was probably yeah. It's the same the same feature. time frame right around there. Switch but, back. Uh, Steven, uh... So Stephen D'Souza, right? We've already mentioned who uh, wrote Commando, wrote Running Man, uh, like the action, the go to action guy in the you know the late '80s through the early '90s. He wrote two. So bad it's good movie. Like uh, and wrote and directed the Street Fighter movie and wrote uh, Judge oh. Dredd, the the Stallone oh, Judge Dredd. So I think he also wrote one of the Tomb Raider movies. So he's been all over the map with some of the best like very eighties action movies and some of the most sort of notorious that came in the nineties. Even though they're still kind of eighties action movies, uh, starring Bruce Willis as John McClane, not Frank Sinatra. Bonnie Bedilly, Bed Bedelia, Bed Bedelia, Bedelia. Thank you. <laughs> my my writing, my handwriting is hit bad here. As Holly, all the, all the pronunciations. Yes, <laughs> at least I don't have to say Vito's <laughs> last name or my own. Um, Holly Gennaro, she plays, or Holly McLean, mm-hmm. depending on Reginald Val Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell, and of course Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber, in just Late. an absolutely. Iconic performance here. Budget of twenty-eight million, with a U.S. gross of eighty-four million, and international of one hundred and forty-one million dollars around the globe. And this wow. was the first movie that I, one of the the first R-rated movies I remember seeing. I remember seeing uh, Predator because, as I've mentioned to these guys, I'm a distant relative of Shane Black, who was in that. And um, awesome. so I got to see Predator, you know, way before I should have because I was related to him. So I'm like, you can watch this, you know, <laughs> guy's chest get blown open. And then, um, yeah, it's a this was like, yeah, this was like the next one. And it was funny because we had it was a, a VHS like recorded copy from my dad's friend that was like recorded off of HBO. You know what I mean? So it was like that things. So it was like had the tra- it was bad tracking lines and everything. That's how I remember first seeing this movie. So it's just the the nostalgia for this movie is is very very rich and real and personal for me. So. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me the um, 
Stephen D'Souza, it's very funny because they did a, a 30th anniversary screening last year, and I went to go see it. Reginald Vell Johnson was there. And I had waited 30, like I saw Die Hard 10 or 12 times in the theater alone. Oh, wow. I've owned it on every iteration of its, you know, from VHS to like Laserdisc to DVD to Blu-ray. Like it's it's my favorite action movie of all time. And I I walked up to Steven D'Souza after the screening. I said, I've waited 30 years to shake your hand. This movie is like my favorite screenplay of all time. And he just looked at me and went, great. Walked off. <laughs> I was like, you freaking douchebag. Awesome. You know what? <laughs> he totally was not impressed. He was just like, is that it? Okay, I've it's, got people to talk to. And he like, he's like, I got to go write another Judge Grant over here, too, to, to balance yeah, out exactly. the greatness with something terrible. It's terrible, but also kind of like it was, it was, like it was really funny. It's like terrible, but kind of like a little bit like epic as well. <laughs> it's just like, eh, and just walked away. And you're no, just like, but, I, but, I just got amped by that guy. And he's the yeah, guy, it was totally though, embarrassing. He's like, and well, oh, no. watch him talk about the movie. It's great. He's like the best. Like when you see him talk about it, like he has the best yeah. insights and he's a really funny guy. And so Very it's really funny, cool yeah. to watch him talk about this movie compared to like just about anybody else. Everybody else has something to say, but he he says it really, it's funny and interesting. So it's kind of sad. Like the expectation when you meet him, it's like, yeah, well, see you later. Oh my God. Paul, when did you see this movie first? Uh, the first time I saw it, I actually, um, I would watch, I see it on TV every once in a while around Christmas time. I only see like brief glimpses of it, and I was like, "What is this like movie? What is the movie?" So I went and uh, I, I, I bought it on VHS and watched it all the way through, and just loved every moment of it. It's like um, it's the the thing that always really strikes me about this movie. Uh, it's like not only it's a great action movie, it's a very clever one, you know. And the whole uh, play between in, uh, Hans Gruber and John McClane, like they, you know, throughout the course of the movie, they one up each other, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting how, um, like, Hans is, like, he's a very nuanced, complex villain. Like, he's a fully formed character in his own right um, and very much de- developed in very much uh, as well as, like, John McClane himself. And so um, it just, the whole movie is just stronger because of because of that and also Alan Rickman's performance. And... Um, so I, it's it's interesting, like right off of the bat, like Alan Rickman had, it's his first movie role, which is like amazing, but it's like, it's easily like one of the best villains of movie history. Um, he didn't want to do it. Did you know that? Like he, so really? his story, I, I, I apologize guys. I'm a massive diehard fan. So I, I'm going to pepper this with like tons here. of useless <laughs> facts. But like, um, so Alan Rickman had been in Hollywood for literally one week. He got wow. cast as Hans Gruber. He had never done a feature film in his life. John McTiernan had seen him in a play in England. He he had done Valmont and he was playing Valmont. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, this guy needs to be in the movies. So they flew him to LA, auditioned him and hired him. He turned it down because he was aghast at the fact <laughs> he'd be playing a villain in a, in a movie and he didn't want to be typecast as a villain. But his agent <laughs> thankfully forced him to take the part and here's another thing. It's not on a lot of the sites and stuff like that. I met a couple of executives from Fox who were around at that time. Apparently, you, you know how like Johnny Depp, when he was doing original Pirates, uh, like all the executives didn't get what he was doing. They wanted to fire him. Have you heard about that? And like no. he, oh, yeah. and basically the head of Disney stuck up for him and said, let him let him do it. And it ended up being this iconic role. Same thing for Alan Rickman. 
he was he, he he wasn't doing the over the top like wah kind of bad guy. The executives at Fox wanted to fire him. Oh yeah, and and they were going to fire him. They thought he was doing terribly, and Bruce Willis basically went to bat for him and said, "If you fire him, you're going to lose me." And they were already like a third of the way through production, and they kept him on. And it's, I would argue, alongside Hannibal Lecter, Darth Vader. Uh, maybe a couple of other villains in history. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, movie villain of all time. And oh, certainly absolutely. the greatest action movie villain, for sure. Within that subgenre, for sure, yeah. I think. There's no argument there, yeah. So what is it about Alec Rickman's performance that works so well for you? And like, what is it about um, his character that like just works so well as an action movie his villain? His beard. Yeah, his beard. <laughs> I think the beard is like ninety nine percent of it, and and that that accent is definitely is, is that last. His voice is, yeah, dude. I mean, his his voice <laughs> has such he has such a nuance to his voice, and 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 again, think about all of the movies. It, it's kind of like with The Godfather. How after The Godfather, everybody imitated The Godfather. So now you look at a mafia movie, and it's a it's a trope. But at the time, no one had ever done. This super intelligent, suave, you know, debonair, well-dressed, well-read, you know, classical music listening villain like this. You know, he was he was like the first guy yeah. to come along and actually make the villain someone that you would want to be. Yeah. It was pretty interesting. I, I the only other person I guess would be like really obsessed with gold that even that would like kind of carry on to Austin Powers 3, like like Goldfinger and stuff like that. Like you would have like smart, sophisticated villains. But like you said, like the cartooniness to it, but they'll be like, but there's just this little weird thing. He really loves poodles. And you're just like, all right. But like with Hans Gruber, it's all real. It's all kind of genuine. And he is just kind of like that kind of not over the top. Like I said, like he was acting in a way where everybody was like, what is he doing? He's changing things. And I don't like it. What is this relatable villain? That's that's completely normal. Not on my watch. Um where, yeah, I, I think that he just owns it. I love Hans Gruber in this. I, I when I was watching it, I didn't, I didn't realize how amazing this movie was. I just thought it was like honestly, like I'm not the biggest fan of '80s movies, as I've said multiple times on this podcast. I, I don't, very, I don't really like '80s movies. What, right now. what I is the lie? Why, why are you not a? That's such a weird. Anyway, we'll go back to that. But I, I wanted to bring up one thing about Hans Gruber, which I think is is really great. Is that he's um he's always makes makes good on his threat. Like when Joe Takagi is oh, yeah. refusing to give him the codes, he's like, "Well, I guess you're gonna have to kill me." And he just straight up shoot him in the face in cold blood. And they even what I love about that scene is that they set it up to where um John McClane is about to rescue him. Like he's in the same room, and it looks like he's gonna save the day at the last moment. And then you know Hans Gruber just shoots him in cold blood. Yeah, and even like um. John McClane, he's like, you know, why didn't you save him? What, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, he had this whole like dialogue with himself. And so, um, seeing as how we have such a strong villain, Hans Gruber, what makes John McClane work so well as a, a you know, a, a foil for Hans Gruber? I was going to say, I, go ahead, Vito. Sorry, I, I, I don't didn't no, mean please. to catch up. Like for me, I feel because Hans, you, it, it's the dichotomy between the suave, sophisticated super genius and the everyman who comes along, and he's just like he, he <laughs> almost like it's almost like if Bill Murray got thrown into an action situation, and he was like, 
you know, he's cocky. He's kind of, uh, he's not the smartest guy on the planet, but damn it, he never gives up. He never stops. And he's damn well determined to save the day no matter what. He he has a goal and he doesn't stop. And Grouper also has a goal. And so you get this like immovable object and this, you know, unbeatable force and they're coming together. They're complete polar opposites. It's like the Joker and Batman. You know what I mean? The Joker's like this garish, you know, some would say hilarious. I've never found him funny, but he's like, you know, he's over the top and, and kind of humorous. Batman is dark and grim. And so that, that combination is like peanut butter and chocolate. You know, you have like the, they're like the Reese's peanut butter cup of action star and villain. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they complement yeah. each other so well because they're so different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and that's, gonna say yeah. that's, 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 that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say because what you have. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a credit to, um, two things, right? You have great writing, setting these characters up and great execution in the performance. It's per- such perfect casting, the perfect people. Like, you know, we talked about that, like, you know, who, like Hans Gruber, or not Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman. Uh, he was a risk in the sense, just because not necessarily what he's doing with the performance, because who is this guy? Bruce Willis was a risk because this guy's a TV star. And this is before, this is the olden days where you didn't go from TV to movies like you do now. It's now it's just whatever medium, streaming, this, that. You go back and forth every which direction. It's not a big deal. TV was definitely a lesser medium at the time. So it was like, oh, he's maybe beneath us. And, you know, it diminishes our movie just having him in it. But you have uh, these two performances with that structure of the story of these two characters who, are like, uh, like Vito just said, are just so, like, exact opposites, but relentlessly pursuing what they're after, right? It's just so – and it's so great because – um, I, I was rewatching this movie. I was just kind of like thinking about it in terms of structure. And the first 20 minutes, it takes it takes almost exactly 20 minutes for the action to start. That's when the terrorists come in and boom, things kick off. But at, that first 20 minutes is really, really brisk because you get so much character stuff set up and it just moves along. You get right away, you're on the airplane with uh, Bruce Willis talking to the guy with the shoes and just the way he reacts and even the way he, the, like the pretty uh, stewardess looks at him and there's a little look so there's the, the, there's all this dynamic that building. It's like, oh, is he is it his eye wandering? And then you notice, oh, he's trying to work on the marriage, but he's real. Like as it grows and grows and grows in the story, and and the great thing is, you get all this stuff built in, and it doesn't dwell on that. It's just there. And I think, and then Bruce Willis does such a great job of carrying it uh, throughout that it just it's and it's just the opposite of Alan Rickman's character, right? Who has it all together. And, and, and Bruce and Bruce yeah. Willis and, and John McClane just absolutely does not like he doesn't even know where he's staying. Like I love the part, and this is a very LA thing where uh, they mention, um, "Oh, where are you going <laughs> to stay?" And he's like, "Oh, there's a retired captain that lives in Pomona, and they're in Century City." And and that, like that's that's a hall. Like I remember my wife and I would go to a lot of concerts and be like, "Oh, it's in Pomona." We're like, "Yeah, hmm. let's not go there. <laughs> Pass." Yeah, so that's, that's like that's, so that's a drive. <laughs> You know, that's an interesting um, point that you bring up is that Hans Gruber, like throughout the whole movie, he never loses his composure. Like he has, he's always like very, you know, has a suit and all the, I mean, like there's no, you know, it doesn't even look like he's like sweating or anything like that. But man, John McClane is just bringing through the ringer. Like he's bleeding, his feet are like bleeding and cut up from glass. And he's just like a hot mess by the end of that movie. And, uh, you know, what, one thing that I really uh, – you bring up an interesting point with the, um, the making fists with toes. Uh, well, I really like that scene a lot because, you know, he's, he's at the um, – he's 
you know, in that office, in that uh, like her office, and he's making fists with his toes, and he's barefoot, and then the terrorist attack happens, and so he's yes. kind of caught off guard, and he's barefoot, and they actually it's do genius. Really pay that off really well with um, in the office building with the glass, and uh, it's like little nuances, little details like that that are just like they they really touch upon it, and it pays off so well within the context of the story. And even something as simple as like when um, uh, Holly takes the the frame the frame picture of her, of John and, and the family and sets it down, so that the whole movie um, Hans doesn't even see it. And then when he sees that news broadcast, he like flips over and he's like, and he makes a connection. Oh, that's John McClane's wife, and you know it really ramps up the tension. So I love how this movie takes like small details like this, like little nuances. And really uses it to like elevate the story and really make it like um, just just so much better. Um, so, uh, what were you gonna say, Tyler? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I was actually gonna make a joke about the clinching of the fist, <laughs> or a fist. Uh, what, what does he say? Fist, fist your foot or something like your, that. Fist toe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fist your toes. I was just gonna make a joke about that earlier, but I I, I kind of want to go off on that. It was like, what a great time to fight with your wife um isn't that movie, right before that movie i'm joking i'm sorry that was a terrible joke um no no, no. um what i wanted to say before but yeah but hans gruber is that i yeah I, I love how serious he is and how and and how determined he is where john McClain, kind of like what you were saying it's he's kind of making jokes but he's also like it, it's he's aged he's dealt with not stuff exactly like this but he's dealt with some shit being on the force. And so this is just kind of like, you know, he's just, he's making one liners saying, you know, talking about, you know, Roy Rogers to, you know, to, to a terrorist and then going back and forth with, uh, literally one of the greatest bromances I've ever seen. Um, uh, and, um, you know, via walkie talkie and oh, yeah. it, it, it's so good. It's so good. John McClane is such a good hero because he is finally one that's just kind of goofy and he's just like this shit again like he just kind of like you get this 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 kind of um uh, i don't well, know I, like, like, I think he's weird... an effective hero because he's like he's very different than a lot of the 80s action stars at the time like uh you know like yeah. he can, uh, commando and a rambo and you know like it almost seems like they're like bulletproof but john mcclain like he gets shot in the shoulder and you know he gets like He's, he's, you know, he's limping because he his, his feet are cut up by the glass and he's just like, you know, there's many times where they almost catch him. Like they, um, when he's in the vents and he has the, um, his, he's using the, uh, the strap on the machine gun to like, jump over in the elevator shaft. And then he like hangs on there and he's like crawling with that small space. And, and there's a little lighter and I see the lighter until the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the Germans that come over. And they're like poking at the air conditioning. Like, the it up. Yeah. yeah. And like after that? he shoots too. And that's like after he like, you know, lights it up with his machine gun. Yeah. And then yeah. He, and he's waiting in the crate of his things. Like is, is John McClane's like just waiting to load his clip. Cause even though he's like, he's also like ready to like, if he needs to like unload on these guys, but he's like, knows he has to wait till like the last possible second to do it in that moment. Like, and it's so tense even, and still I've seen it. I don't know how many times, but it's still like, there's so many moments in this movie, these movies. I've seen it dozens and dozens of times, but it's like the tension is like, oh my gosh, yeah. oh my gosh, oh the my gosh. Pacing, the pacing is <laughs> oh, so, so effective. 
one so one of the things. Oh, go ahead. Oh, what I was all I want to say is, uh, I mean, I've seen this movie like dozens of times, but I really feel like John McClane is in jeopardy that they might actually catch him, and uh, you know that 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 he's like. It's an interesting thing to 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 know exactly what's going to happen in the movie, but you still like really are concerned for the hero, and you kind of believe that he could fail or that he could die. And a lot of that is has to do with like he, he because he is the everyman, you know, he is just the cop against these like insurmountable odds. So uh, and that falls him. away. That that fall that that's the thing that I. I hate as the as the sequels progress. I always make the joke that John McClane is the Rodney Dangerfield of of action heroes because he doesn't get no respect. Like he saves <laughs> hundreds of people at Nakatomi Plaza, and a year later, when his wife is in danger, they're all like, "This asshole cop wants to come in here and tell us what to do at our airport." And he saves everybody at the airport. All right, he saves like five planes worth of people and everyone at the airport. He's back in New York. He's an alcoholic. None of his family likes him. Holly left him. His kids hate him. His fellow cops are like, that fucking alcoholic dickhead? He's useless, John McClane. He saves New York City. By the fourth movie, his daughter's still not talking to him, but he saves America. And then he goes and he saves Russia, and his son hates him. Nobody (laughs) likes this guy. Like, what does it take for this man to get some fucking respect? Yeah. It's 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 sad, but he also becomes a superhero as they go on. Like like yeah. it, it's funny because I read a review where they said in the first movie, you know, glass is like his downfall, and in the fifth movie, he falls through like six sheets of glass and he's fine. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. glass was Not his kryptonite, and then he's a superhero. Yeah, he has no cuts whatsoever. He falls through levels of glass, no cuts, nothing. And then what was the, the fourth so movie? So bad. Like, jumps out of a helicopter. And then slides down like some concrete blocks or something while the yeah. explosion behind him. Like it's just like jumps. Insane. He jumps off of a was... plane. That's like. <laughs> I... What were you saying, Tyler? Oh, I was gonna say I, I heard that the next movie is gonna be him saving a uh, the moon base, and but his grandma can't stand him. Won't bake him any bread. Well, Although I, I, I will oh, say right oh, now, though, right? My goodness. That diehard wow. commercial for the diehard batteries with him in it, pretty great. <sighs> because I those, uh, when I was a kid, I'm sorry, but when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I actually thought that they called the diehard batteries that because of the diehard movies. When okay, I saw that there cool. were batteries yeah. called diehard, I was like, Oh my God. I didn't you know there were batteries the called diehard. Yeah. It's I a car. It's a, it's a brand of car battery. Oh, so, okay. They were started by Sears, but Sears, it was like an exclusive Sears, uh, you know, item, right. and now it's like on its own yeah. since Sears went out of business. But uh, yeah, it's, like it's really Die funny. Hard. Yeah, with a name like Die Hard, it, it has to be good. That's right. The first one, but <laughs> subsequent batteries are not nearly as good. The third one's okay. Third I've never seen fine. the sequels. I've not seen one sequel. I've never seen the the Lethal Weapon sequels. I've never seen Die Hard sequels. Um, you don't need to. I, yeah, that's true. You could watch two and three. You watch I, I my my headcanon for stuff is like you can watch the the Star Wars uh the original trilogy and you can forget everything else. And then uh my headcanon for Die Hard is the first three, and then four and five are like a fever dream. And uh for Die or for Lethal Weapon, you can watch the first two and after that it's crap. So they have their like limits what for about stuff being good. 
Well, he's Joe in the Pesci's amazing. One. He's in the second one. He's in the second. Oh, one. okay. I feel like Joe Pesci should just should have been in like all those movies where he's just always in the sequels, the same character though, and he just like be amazing. It could have had a shared universe, a, a Pesci verse. Okay, they could have had Dude. a Pesci verse, and they failed. And then, not, you and then it ends with Home Alone. It it, it ends with his with his character being like, "I'm gonna go rob this little fucking shit. Get it, Harry. Get over here. I'm tired of saving cop and working with cops. We're gonna go. We're gonna go steal this kid's shit. I'm done. Sorry. What's a kid gonna do? What's a kid gonna do? Huh? <laughs> you want to talk a shared universe? Did you guys know that's the that, wrong uh, Christmas movie, guys? <laughs> oh god Dude, i i have a, a fantasy that all movies take place in the same universe but uh there is a movie tie-in believe it or not there was a film called ricochet with denzel washington and the character of gail wallens who is the uh uh the news reporter is in both movies and it's oh her god. in both oh films as that god. character it's so that ricochet thing. and die Hard are in the same universe you know, I always thought that uh, Family Matters and Die Hard were the same universe because, like, original Bill Johnson was that would a cop. be amazing. And like, I always thought that because the beginning of uh, Family Matters was like him returning home, so I always thought it was him returning home from like the Nakatomi Plaza incident, and then he had to deal with like Steve Urkel. <laughs> He's like, I shot a kid, and it wasn't Urkel. How was the kid? Yeah, was saying, what Urkel? if it was a prequel? What if it was yeah. a prequel and it was Urkel that he shot? Yeah, the end of Family Matters, the final episode we never saw. It's him yes. accidentally shooting so, Urkel. Yes. Family Matters yeah. comes first. <laughs> Boom, my mind is blown. It's a prequel to Die Hard. Yeah, he just, after since he uses, he just couldn't stand Urkel anymore. Just blew him away. Where Ooh, you guys. Going? I thought somebody who worked on the show confirmed that it, like, or no, it, actually, I think it was just an internet thing. But yeah, that was the whole thing. Like on the internet, like everybody was like, "No, it has to be the same character." Like that would be amazing. Like, well, I mean, they do have different what? names and live in different cities. Yeah, it, it's not. What, just, what yeah. if the end of Emily Matters? He accidentally shoots Urkel, and the final scene is him being called in to the captain's office, and he's like, "We're busting you down to like foot patrol," and he's like, "Well, I guess I got to deal with it. I'm gonna go out and buy some Twinkies." And he leaves, and in the distance, you see Nakatomi Plaza. Ooh, it's I the beginning it. of Die Hard. Hey, that, I love it. That would be perfect. Know, I'd buy your screenplay. Let me tell you, hey, that would be a good episode for your whatever the your uh, burn after pitching or pitching burn or whatever your burn, show. Pitching burns. A burning itching. I love it. Living about Boston and Die Hard and Family Matters. Um. <laughs> Family matters die hard. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. Can we talk about all the all the supporting <laughs> cast in in this in this movie? Because like, God. So I actually did want to bring up uh, Reginald Johnson's like his relationship with with Sean McClane. But the interesting thing is they actually did, they actually didn't meet each other till like the end of produ- towards the end of production. How do you th- how do you feel that that relationship kind of enhanced the the, the action in, in in the movie? Well, there. There are more than the so the villains of the film aren't the main villains. If you really look at the other policemen in the film, they sort of act as villains because they're working against what McLean is doing. And so that causes a lot of tension. I love the idea that like the FBI comes in, they think that they're going to do the right thing and they're walking into Gruber's trap. And so McLean 
it's good that he has somebody on the outside who believes not him even because working, no one else does. Not even like leading in. They were literally helping him out, like unknowing, but like they literally were about to let Hans and them get away. Yeah, and Hans, that's a great thing. And Hans is like super evil genius that he knew that. But kind of getting back to like what Paul's question is, uh, I think it, it it for me like it it gives an insight. It's 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 great because you can get some expositional things in there that you need for the movie to move forward, but in a way that really enhances character. And that's when it's really great writing, where you have something that like you like here's necessary information about the FBI showed up you know, that to make sure John McClane knows that you get these things in there, but in a way that it's like very telling for the character and their relationships. And, and it's cool. Like, you know, how he's figuring out that he is a cop without him saying it. Cause he's like, you know, this is a party line and all these different things and the way they're communicating. It's like, it's, and again, it's really great writing. You know, I made fun of Steven Souza for like street fighter, but he and Jeb Stewart on this, like nailed it with uh, the, like, it's just some brilliant, brilliant writing. And the best of the writing is in their dialogue with each other. Because again, it covers the oh, sort of exposition plus just so much character comes out. Oh man, he also and it's like the, the relationship between the two of them. As you see that relationship grow, it raises the stakes for John McClane. Like he wanted to survive so that he could actually meet uh, Al Powell. You know, like that because they form this this friendship, it, it makes it, it it raises the stakes and makes it um, seem like uh, you know. Like there's more of a chance that he that he might die. Like he might not make it to you know to have that uh, that meeting between the two of them. So in a way that that relationship it helps like it helps John McClane grow as a character, and 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 you know they go bro- both grow as a character, but it also makes it uh, it raises up those stakes and raises ranks up that tension um, because yeah you definitely like through the course of the movie you want them to meet each other and you want to see. Uh, you know, like a, a, a conclusion or like the uh, a meaning between the two of them. And uh, so I, I, I a resolution, you mean? Yeah, exactly. You want to see a resolution between the two of them. You want to see that that they actually get to meet each other and that that friendship can blossom from, you know, from 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 this incident. And uh, so I, I think that's like that relationship between the two of them is, is so great. And it really like adds to the story. Um, It'd be it really funny if they never it. talked to each other again afterwards. Oh, it was nice meeting <laughs> you. See you later. Bye. Oh, Merry right. Christmas. Right. They don't exchange an Instagram account or whatever. It's like, like Speed Two, how like Sandra Bullock's in it, and it's like a different guy because like Keanu yeah. didn't want to do it. It's like you Dude. know, like either people in tense situations either like love each other forever or hate each other, and they obviously I mean, it didn't work. Out. I mean. Keanu Reeves missed out. I mean, he could have been on a cruise ship with Willem Dafoe. Uh, Debont, know, ba- right? Ba- bathing in leeches. Yeah. I mean, what a loss, you know? <laughs> what and Debont, I, me- I, I didn't mention Yon Debont in the uh, creative crew, by the way, who is, shot this Bazing movie and himself went on to make some great action yeah. movies as well. And some bad. Some really <laughs> what bad you, one too. What, what were you going to say, Vito? I, I was going to say it would almost make me want to write a short film because I'm sure Reginald Vell Johnson's available. I don't mean that as a negative, but like it would be hilarious to have him calling McLean. Hey, you want to get the family together for Christmas? <laughs> Would you just have him on the other end just like blowing him off? 
I, I just think it's hilarious because you always you become friends in these intense situations. And once the intense situation's over, there's like nothing there anymore. And so it's him going, hey, John, uh, it was just uh, I drove past Nakatomi Plaza tonight and I was just thinking of you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I have some stuff I got to do, uh, you know, and just blowing poor Al yeah. Owl off. For the rest of his life, like that was the most exciting night he's ever had. I mean, um, I, I I wanted I, to add an addendum I, to. I, I, I kind of want to add on to that. I I, I would actually rather have the the short film sure. of them hanging out right afterwards, and then um you know Powell says like like not even a very negative thing at all. Like he's like they're having a barbecue, and he's like, oh the, hey, the meat's really really good. Uh, do you have any more? Uh, do you have any more spices? And he's just like, oh, not enough spices. Did I not spice it up for you enough? And then he just fucking hate each other and then that's what leads on to john mcclain just like just being they, so they can have like shawarma together like after the avengers <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's like the smallest thing that's and off, they John's just hate each other forever oh yeah there it's, you go. LA. it's very late at night i i hope they went to like tommy burger or something like that yeah. go to go to Cantor's deli something Pat like that burger. some of the late night haunts in la that you know you got to do like uh maybe factors deli is also a good one but if if I okay if I was definitely in that, he you know he wouldn't you know why he wouldn't be his friend because he lives in Pomona he wouldn't drive out see, there. I, I, I I'm thinking about <laughs> somebody who's at the party. <laughs> I'm trying to think of somebody who's at the party where I would go after a terrorist like you know terrorist hostage and stuff like that. I would go to the place that just doesn't sound like good at all. Like it sounds like okay I'm gonna get a heart attack after this meal, but after the shit I just went through totally worth it so if i was a guest at that party i would be going to fat burger like the the or just a name that doesn't that sounds like it shouldn't be food but it is because you just escaped death i'm just saying that's tommy burger if you've ever had the original tommy burger like in the tommy heart of los burger, angeles yeah. on rampart it's it's a it's a it's a risk and a glorious experience it's a horrible and a glorious one all at once Glory. <laughs> they're they're delicious i i hardly even eat meat but i love eating tommy's burgers <laughs> that's it the next sequel of, of die hard we'll write the script all together it's gonna be john mcclain is stuck at a tommy burger yeah uh a, but at a, the tommy burger i'm talking about the, the original the, tommy oh, the, the tommy burger yes. a, ter- a terrorist has a gunpoint at him he has to eat 30 hamburgers in, in less than an hour or else he where, doesn't want a t-shirt where it's like uh, outdoor walk up there's only the counter that you like lean on and it's all like uh, outside you're, yeah. You've got to be a Gruber offshoot too. It's got to be like another Gruber that you haven't heard of. Yeah, yeah. like you know how Willem Dafoe are going to eat the sandwich. What other is going it? to finish it's the it's sandwich, McLean? What other British actor can do a German accent? His, his, his other th- his his third cousin twice removed comes in. It's kind of like how I'm related to Shane Black. Oh God! <laughs> I think that's awesome. I loved. He's like the holy grail of screenwriters for me. Um, before. We, I'm not, I'm not, obviously we're not at the end of this, but before we go, remind me to tell you what Die Hard 5 was going to be or Die Hard 6. Oh, and, and I think you guys will be like blown away by it because it was amazing. And then they decided to do young John McClane and now they like, you know, cut it all together now that yeah. Disney bought it. But um, well, wait till I, the end I wanted that. to say, what's that? I was saying, wait till the end for that. That was a little tease. That's right. That's right. It's a tease. I did want to say at that screening that I went to, Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, I did approach him. And uh, unlike Steven D'Souza, um, Vell Johnson was 
awesome. And he basically, I told him, I said, that relationship that you guys create on screen is so amazing that by the end, when you guys meet each other, the relief and the love that you show to Bruce Willis is really amazing. And I swear to God, Reginald Vell Johnson got tears in his eyes and he's like, Oh, that's amazing. Thanks, man. And gave me a big hug. He's amazing. Oh, awesome. Bell Johnson was awesome. You experienced that exact moment that they experienced. Yeah. You were like, like, I've been waiting for you, you this whole time. <laughs> Except I didn't have, you know, the gorgeous Bonnie Bedelia on my arm, unfortunately. <laughs> Other than that, you know, that's one small detail. But, but you had Other an amazing that. beard, yeah. so. So I'm wondering, right. um, the, 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 the amazing thing about this movie is that there's a, a lot of great kills. Like, John McClane does, has a lot of great kills in it. Um, and I know this is kind of, um, cause you're, you're, you're all talking about friendship and, and, and I'm like, Oh, what are, what are John McClane's best kills? Uh, so yeah, what, yeah, 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 nice. what is, I thought friendship and rainbows and, 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 and <laughs> kind of turning it around a little bit, but, uh, no. what's, your favorite, what's your favorite kill in, 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 in this movie? Like, can I go first? Um, go ahead. That, Oh, uh, I, I think it's more about like me giving major props to the stuntman. Do y'all remember the guy who's running and John McClane is shooting at his legs and its leg is being damp- dangled, and then he, and then he like clearly gets killed when he goes into the glass and like I don't know if that stuntman's okay. Well, I don't know if any stuntman got. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's your favorite kill. Is that he was killed during the the making I, of this movie. <laughs> no, I'm saying even if it's even if it's fake glass, even if it is breakable, fake. Uh, or uh, production production glass. There's no way that he did not hurt his neck in that. So I, th- I think it's my favorite kill because holy shit, that stunt that stunt work. Because almost everything else was. I mean, it, it didn't really have painful. that much. I mean, dude, like the guy trips, almost hits a desk, and then breaks glass, and then like hits his neck. Clearly hits the other production glass and goes like that. Like that's. Like in full force fall, holy shit! And also, you see, is is like get like you know, just absolutely completely destroyed too. So to me, no, that like that shot. I'll say I'll say this: watching it again, that shot when like they show his leg, like kneecaps and legs getting blown out. I'm like, whoa, am I watching RoboCop? Because yeah, right? there's a blood yeah. in this movie, but all of a sudden it's like really graphic. Yeah, yeah, like that surprised me. Like rewatching it, like last night, I was like, whoa, I don't remember that being so graphic that part I, I, of that yeah don't forget guys in the 80s you used to be able to show full-on like female breasts in pg films up until That's a true. certain point <laughs> then and then because so in the 80s they just didn't give Even a shit like, one, there's there's a, a brief scene where when the, the terrorists are like pulling people out of the rooms and there's like this couple that are like making out or whatever the party <laughs> yeah it's like very brief but yeah vita what do you what is your your favorite kill uh well, as as cliched as it is, I would have to say it's it's Hans Gruber because I I've always marveled as a, as a writer and and I'm sure everyone here as writers you know agree like again the screenplay is so meticulously put together that you have this moment I forgot I I've seen this movie like seventy times I can't remember the name of the guy Hans Booby friends right Ellis. like Ellis. that guy I forgot Ellis. his name yeah, Ellis Ellis, oh, Ellis. so oh, I love that like. I want him to but die. dude, that throwaway line where he's like, "It's a Rolex," and he's and he's trying to be all cool, and and Holly kind of blows it off. But this this watch is the symbol of her like selling out and leaving John and kind of like 
pushing him to the side. And at the end of the movie, it literally decides Hans Gruber's fate. He's hanging by the damn Rolex and they, she cuts it and drops him. And it's like, she's letting go of the job and letting go of all that shit and coming back to John. The symbolism of that is amazing. And I also love the fact, um, Tyler, you were talking about the, yeah. And, and you were talking about the, uh, effect or the stunt man, uh, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Rickman. He really did that drop. He dropped like 30 or 40 feet. Yeah. And when they no. were preparing no, that shot, they didn't tell him. They were, they said, we're going to drop you on three. And they did it on one. So the look on his face mm-hmm. when he goes, ooh, as he yeah. falls back is real. It's amazing. And he, <laughs> they only got it in one shot because he refused to do it again after that. But oh. uh, that, that to me is just a great kill. I don't blame yeah. him. And go, and going, going back to the, the thing with the watch. Um, so again, I didn't read the book. I read about the book, but that in the book, it's the daughter and she is actually in this, like in shadiness with Nakatomi. She's like, um, she's kind of a bad guy herself. And she actually falls off with him, refusing to let go of the watch. It's like oh, the flip shit. in the character, how the book was different, where it's like, you know, what the meaning of it. It's cool how they use the same device in a different way, symbolically, where it's like, is she attached to this or is she attached to, you know, her family, essentially? But my favorite kill is uh, Carl. And because, first of all, you think he's dead and he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Officer Powell, Reginald Val Johnson, gets that moment at the end where you know when you think everything's yes. wrapped up with the bow and this is you know before that's a cliche now but it wasn't a cliche then when that guy would yeah. come back like that now we see it all the time but at the time you're like oh, he's back and then he just you know everyone freaks out and who's the I man of it, action i agree and disagree because we also had jaws and james bond movies that would like fall 700 feet in the ground and then he'd be in the next scene you know like making out with a blonde i'm just kidding he doesn't make out with her but um I don't know if you guys remember that from Moonraker, but Jesus Christ. Um, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of cliche from some, for some henchmen to just like magically come back out of nowhere. Um, like, I think it's still very it. unexpected, though, in this movie. True. No. I, yes. In this movie. Absolutely. But but yeah. Oh, and I, I, and it's it is called Die Hard. So maybe it's not about John McClane being the one to die hard. Yeah. I wanted to. I'm sorry, Paul. I, I wanted to say I, I did read the book after the, the movie came out and there is the, they're not terrorists in the, the book. They're they're sort of like, um, what would you call it? They're like they're like super protesters. I, I, I'm trying to think oh. of like the, the way to like they're basically protesting the bank like, and its okay. dealings and stuff like that. But they've broken in the, the most brutal kill in the book. It's totally crazy. Uh, Leland is in the stairwell and he breaks, he hears someone running up the stairs. He breaks the glass, grabs this ax and swings it. That is the person comes around and it gets the person right in the face. He realizes it's like this 17 year old girl. He just right down the middle of her head and she just falls dead. And he's like, Oh my God, I just killed a young girl. And so in the book, the deaths and, and the killings are way more personal and horrific. Because wow. he's just like, you know, yeah, and he he wrestles with that for the rest of the book that he killed this girl who, you know, she's wearing like, you know, the Fidel Castro cap and she's running with a gun and he just like axed her right in the face. It's I mean, really I'm, brutal. I'm glad we didn't see that. But also, though, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like all the henchmen, 
all had completely like you know personalities and stuff. Like the one sci- science guy was amazing. I loved that guy. It was so it was so cool. Anyways, Paul, what did you want to say? Oh, so I I have to say my favorite kill is uh, it's uh, one of the, I think it's the first one, um, and it's uh, the the blonde haired terrorist. I think he's Carl's brother. I forgot the name, the name, but uh, he has like sweatpants, like the uh, sweatshirt and everything, and he's uh, so they're fighting. Yeah, the and they set yeah. him up real quick. Yeah, yeah. they set, they set him up as like the ultimate dude right away. Like he does the thing where he slides down the stairs and he cuts the phone lines and stuff. He does all this cool stuff right away. Like yeah, so ahead, yeah. Like they, the way they and set they, him up, like, oh, this like dude's the 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 wires, yeah. and he's like trying to fix it real quick before he does it. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that was cool. Like you know, like John McClane hears the 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 uh, elevator bell. And he comes over and he's like, "I'm not gonna hurt you." And then he automatically shoots where he thinks John McClane is. And then like uh, John, like he uh, lures him in with that saw, and they start fighting. Yeah. And then uh, the you know it's a pretty brutal fight. It's a very like very visceral fight for like an action movie. The and, choreography in this movie is actually really well done. Like all the fist, oh, yeah, all, all the fist fight choreography is all, for all of it. What I love. Uh, so what what's really cool is like. I like how they're at the staircase and he falls over and somehow snaps his neck. Like it seems kind of yeah. like, odd. You just hear like a grunting, like Rah! then he looks over at him and he sees his fake ID and then he goes uh, and he like puts him in the, um, in the elevator with the sweatshirt saying, <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. And uh, he like hides on top and, uh, you know, he like he they open up the, the elevator doors open up. Holy shit, who's who's this? Like oh he got you know, like now I have a machine and, and, and Hans is like, Hey Carl, tell you know, Carl and and but I love that particular kill because it's like kind of like the first engagement with the terrorists. But it also shows how like how clever John is, is that he's he's figuring out like how many different terrorists how many people how many people he's engaging with and he's like, you know, he's doing investigative work. Like what, what am I dealing with? Like how, how many terrorists am I dealing with? Like what am, um, like what, you know, like he's, he's trying to seize up the size of the problem. And uh, so I love that particular one specifically because it's like, it's such a, a neat iconic moment with this, with the, <laughs> now I have a machine gun, ho, ho. Uh, but it shows just how, um, like clever John McClane is like that, yeah. that, you know, this is the hero to root for because of he's clever and, and, uh, it, it, it just works so well within the context of the story. So that's my, my favorite kill. And it also, the- Paul, it also is cool because it also does a lot to show the character of Hans Gruber because it doesn't phase him. He's just like, like he's like, do this, do oh, this, do this. Yeah. He like he, he like, you know, here's this absolute wild card that Hans Gruber, who planned for everything, couldn't have planned for. But now he's like, okay, this is what we do. You do this. Figure out if there's more than one of him. Figure out if he's lying about like uh, having even killed, like you know, killed the other people. You know, uh, figured out if he really has the gun. All that like, it's so mm-hmm. cool to see. And he's like, Hans Gruber does not lose his cool at all. So it's cool how like that moment shows you both characters so well in such a unique, well, iconic way. Yeah. yeah I love Tyler, that. you you had brought up uh, the fact that you thought all of the 
side characters were really amazing. One of the reasons why that happened was because Willis was, while they were shooting uh, Die Hard, he was actually also shooting scenes while Sybil Shepard was away with her pregnancy. He was shooting Moonlighting during the day and Die Hard at night. And he was so exhausted that Stephen D'Souza and Jeb Stewart had to come up with ways to to enhance the movie. So they decided on something that Quentin Tarantino does now, which is even the side characters when they show up, they do something interesting, and they're so they're they're like they're the center of the movie when they're on screen. When you see those FBI guys, you could see those guys in, in their own movie. Yeah. When you see those cops, you could see those cops in their own movie. And so they treat all of the side characters like their main characters. And so everyone is well fleshed out. You really believe that that's a real world because those people have real personalities and they're all different and they all have different goals and they're all working against each other. And the movie just beautifully tumbles it all together to its inevitable conclusion. It's yeah. really amazingly well done. Like that one hitchman who like, who's there like with the concession stand and he grabs a crunch bar and you're like, wow, I really hate this guy. He completely passed up a Reese's. I was sitting right there. This guy needs to die. Uh, <laughs> Go crunch bar. Go crunch bar. Team Crunch, Bar. Team Crunch Bar. He was actually in um, Bill and Ted. He was Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted. Then he's also that was, like, um, that's amazing. He's like, I had a in like some of the different movies. I love that man. But dude, he was he's considered to be like the '80s henchman. He was also in Big Trouble in Little China. Um, oh, he's good. he's been in almost every oh, major yeah. '80s action film as a henchman. That's so. awesome. Good for him, <laughs> well, man. I even like that one moment right before where there's a SWAT team guy and he like pricks his arm on a roses and he's like, ah, shit. (laughs) Right before getting gunned down at the front door. (laughs) If only only he'd had focus, he wouldn't have been shot. He was was too busy wondering if he was going to get that stain of blood out. Yeah, right? He's like, "I I need ointment. I need an antiseptic. Does anybody have any aloe vera? And then boom, machine gun fire. Is it weird that I liked the FBI's death more than I did the henchmen? Like all of them? Uh, Like what's that one thing? Because that FBI guys are such dicks. Oh my God. Agent Johnson and Johnson, not related. Oh my God. God, That scene is so great, dude. Yeah. Yeah. In the helicopter. Yeah. One of them is like, uh, he's like, oh, this reminds me of Saigon. And the other's like, man, I was only in junior high school, dickhead. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? <Yeah. laughs> and the way out of their relationship. It, like, yeah. Dude, but you <laughs> get the sense that those guys have known each other for years, that they've worked together, and that they're, they're just like, yeah. They would be the leads in a different movie. Like, yeah. like, those two would be going off and having like lethal weapon adventures. That's the prequel too. We could keep writing the prequels. The, um, <laughs> what, I'd rather write a one of the really the- crazy things. Dude, I I would love to do something Die Hard related, but I feel the franchise is kind of ruined at this point. But yeah. um, did you guys know that most of the explosions and stuff were practical as well? Like, I have a buddy who was driving down Olympic Boulevard and saw the top of the Sony building explode and thought that L.A. was under attack. Like, he saw them. He had no idea there was a movie being shot. And he watched the explosion come out of the building and was like, holy shit, and rushed home because he thought his family was in danger. It was really crazy. But they uh, they did almost all the explosions practically and in the building. 
Oh shit! And I, I that had to have been was, amazing. Oh, I thought they used uh, for some reason. I thought they used min- miniatures for, for it. For the like, top of the building, for the for the top of the helicopter, they that did, was a miniature. There's but, a yeah, shot. The other stuff was, yeah, there's a there's a shot of the building from across the city with where you see an explosion, and that was a real shot. Jesus Christ! And they were able to like do that stuff because that. the building was still actually under construction. So like it was uh, Fox's offices, and they were there was still a lot of it was under construction. So they were able to just wreck it because it wasn't anything yet anyway you know as long as they didn't obviously damage the structure but yeah, yeah they were able yeah. to like light it on fire safely <laughs> that's cool but damn like jesus <laughs> yeah well you couldn't get away with that now oh absolutely not no no, no not even the rock so um but you don't need to actually... now unfortunately you can do it you know it's just too easy to do things today that's true. what's that paul so uh, actually, one thing I wanted to bring up is uh, the scene where um, Hans is like up and he, he's up by the roof and he's like checking on the detonators and the C4 and uh, he gets caught by John McClane. And there's this whole exchange between the two of them. And, uh, you know, at the like he does a really good American accent where he's like, oh, no, uh, Bill Clay, don't, you know, I just wandered away from from the terrorists and you know, don't shoot me. The Bill and, Clay thing um, is so smart. Sorry. There's really, Sorry. Yeah, there's just like a really tense scene between the two of them. And so one thing that I never really understood was what gave him away. What gave Hans Gruber away, in your opinion? Oh, it's I I didn't realize this at first until years later, and I, you know, I I've read all the trivia and all that stuff. Apparently, the way he accepts the cigarette is like a European way that they hold the cigarettes. That was what oh. tips McLean off. I never, I never realized that in the seventy times I've watched the movie. But apparently, and and I, 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 I skimmed through scenes today without watching the full movie. But uh, I didn't catch that. But apparently, he accepts it. It's like the the scene in you know, Glorious Bastards. Yeah, Glorious Bastards. Three. Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah, like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you also noticed that uh, that is when Gruber realizes that he doesn't have shoes and it gives him the inspiration later to break the glass. Yep. So like he wouldn't have known that. Oh, and that, yeah, yeah, that creates yeah, the tension of that scene later is like shoot the glass. Can well, I? I we, haven't, we, haven't, we haven't talked about like the great filmmaking here too to visually yeah. set things up. You know what I mean? Like you're seeing oh, yeah. that and then like that's great filmmaking. You see Gruber, you see what Gruber's seeing and these subtle things that that we're not, we don't talk about because it's so well done. It's a, just a really well-made film. John McTiernan at his best, you know, like I I, I love Predator so much. I really, really love that yeah. movie. Um, I've and, never seen it. Oh gosh. Well, oh, Tyler, you gotta, of you gotta, you gotta <laughs> I um, said 80, 80, 80, 80 action yeah, yeah, and you keep saying how you don't like eighties movies. It's because you haven't seen action the good movies. ones. Eighties action movies. Eighty action movies. Like <laughs> you I love missed all the good ones. Like I love Beverly Hills Cop. And it was like more mostly a comedy, but yeah. But like Tyler, yeah, 80, it's, it's imagine the director of Die Hard doing what would have been a terrible B movie in anybody else's hands, and he elevates yes. it to a masterful sci-fi classic. About man oh, yeah. surviving against the unkillable beast. It's amazing, yeah. dude. It's great. I don't know. But, Paul, yeah, can I yeah. say one thing but real any, quick? But anyway, just to finish my thought real fast, is the that uh, the filmmaking though, like the actual filmmaking, you you have Jan Debont and John McTiernan bringing together visually like the narrative of the film to like really uh, create that juxtaposition. Because like when you think about how uh, John McClane is shot and how he looks 
compared to the terrorists and how like together they almost always seem to have it. Like, you know, they always have like the, the, they're not all Hans Gruber, but they're always like their shirts are tucked in. They're always together. They just, their hair is perfect. And John McClane, like, you know, he's me, his hair isn't combed. He rolled out of bed, doesn't have his shoes on. Like that's, and, but they, they bring that home visually too, where you really feel the wear and tear of him as well to like create that more than just like, you know, John McClane's not wearing shoes. It's like, show us that, you know, like the whole show don't tell kind of thing in filmmaking. Go ahead, Tyler. Sorry. No, I was going to say like, like, like I'm, I'm very critical on eighties action movies because I don't like the whole alpha male thing and the bulletproofness and everything. It's just kind of, I feel like some of, so many of them are just the same, same film where this movie does not, lack that because it's so smart they're like little things like me i'm completely missed the rolex thing earlier on and i was like watching this movie not really doing anything else um which is hard for me to do usually because i'm you know, i have too much going on um you know usually i'll do something else and like pay attention every so often but like this movie i loved it just at the beginning this movie just grabs you and this is one of those action movies where it's not really an action movie like there's a lot of other storytelling a lot of intensity into it but oh, and then there's some action along the way. Movie. It absolutely is an action movie. It just has a lot more depth I and think, symbolism. And I think it's a lot action movie, more like clever. True Lies is considered an action movie, where True Lies has like maybe 10, 10 scenes of action, but the rest of it is comedy and, and yeah, world building. That's a, the frustrating thing is that like because something is an action movie, people automatically assume that it's dumb, you know, that there's like it lacks depth or nuance, but if you have a great action movie and you add that, you know, depth and nuance, it like really elevates it to something else entirely. And like, that's why, you know, we're still talking about art. Like nowadays, it's still a classic. It's still an amazing movie. And it's like, it's, it's timeless because of all these like little nuances, like the symbolism with the Rolex, like that's um, an amazing thing. Like how, you know, she's letting go of her life, her selling out and her and her life that, basically what what hans gruber represents you know and and that's what you know gives so much like um yeah that's why this this uh the hard works so well and is i i think it's like one of the most imitated movies um ever there's like air force one under siege uh white house down like there's so many different movies that try to like replicate this movie in particular. And half of and, them are diehard movies. Yeah, half of them are diehard <laughs> movies. Sadly. Like, <laughs> Men that one. To, yeah. You know, capture this lightning in a bottle effect that Die Hard had, but just haven't hasn't been able to do it. I, I would so argue Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I I was gonna say I would argue that as Josiah pointed out, it's the quality of the craft of filmmaking. It's it's the idea like like when Nirvana came out, right? Nirvana was this amazing groundbreaking band. And they cited their influences being the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and you know uh the germs, and they had this wide amount of people that they were drawing their musical talent from. And then all of the people who imitated Nirvana just tried to sound like Nirvana. They weren't trying to create a sound. Nirvana was the, they had a real sound because they were really writing songs that came from somewhere. And the imitators are just trying to sound like Nirvana. And, you know, John McTiernan came from a classical filmmaking background. The, anybody who is listening to this podcast who loves Die Hard, if you haven't listened to the director's commentary for the first and third movies, they're 
amazing, you know, filmmaking schools in and of themselves. McTiernan talks about how he taught himself how to shoot scenes by watching Ingmar Bergman films without the sound on. Because he realized if you can't, he, he basically said, he challenges you, if you turn off the sound of Die Hard and you've never seen the movie before, you should be able to know just visually what is happening without any of the dialogue. And you can, because I've done it. The other thing that's really amazing about that movie is that um, McTiernan talked about action directors don't establish a sense of place and a sense of space in which the movie is going to take place in. And so most of them, you can't tell visually what's going on. But in Die Hard, he sets up the building. Then you go into the building. He sets up the lobby. He sets up how the elevators are. He sets up where the party is in relation to where the terrorists are, to where John McClane is. He sets up that every time John McClane runs through a certain room, he kisses and touches the centerfold, oh, right? And the centerfold yeah. is like, she's the middle of the building, literally. And it's how he he knows how to get around. When he sees the centerfold, he gets his bearings. And the terrorists have an idea, but they but he he has acclimated himself. That's why he's able to survive. And so like the sense of space in the movie is amazing. And if you watch most action films today, most directors, they don't have story beats that they tell. It's in the script sometimes, but like they don't they don't tell it the way McTiernan can tell it. That's what sets him apart. Yeah, you know, I mean? exactly. it's like, it's like, you, yeah, like you said, spending time with that space is really significant to them just um to, to the story, but just following the action. You know, you don't get confused because you're gonna have a bazillion cuts. Even in the eighties, there were still a lot of cuts. Like when you see the 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 first fight with um you know, Carl's brother and, and John, like that's, you know, there's like the obvious stunt doubles in there, but they're bashing through walls and all these things. It's a really real brutal fight, but you already have a good sense of that space. And then later on, when you come back to those spaces and revisit them again and again and again, it makes more and more sense. And then like you, for example, like you go to the rooftop before there's the payoff at the rooftop. So you get a sense of how the rooftop works in relation to, you know, getting up and down in there, you know? So like those kind of things, like really, the visual storytelling, like you said, uh, helps it pay off really strongly. And it's funny because it's one of those things where um, I, I was kind of watching it that way last night because I was like semi-distracted by my kids and stuff as I was like watching. And because just my daughter was, uh, she's teething. She's like one, so it's hard to get her to sleep. And, but I was like kind of like watching it with that, more of that sense of just like, just the visual cues without like all those amazing, amazing lines, you know, welcome to the party pal and all that stuff. But just taking it in that sense, you it's part of why it works. And the, and even the sequels to Die Hard specifically are far lesser movies as you don't have that sense of the geography of the space that is really brilliantly done. McTiernan does that really well, and which he does again in Predator. The geography makes you, especially towards the end of that, you know what's ha- you know where you are in that jungle at that point, which is really important. Different different podcast episode though. <laughs> and kind of adding to that is like it really ramps up the tension because you have an understanding of where John McClane is in relation to the terrorists coming after him. And so, you know, you get to a point where it looks like they're gonna trap him and then he gets out, or like, you know, Al is called and so you know, they, they go they go off and deal with that. But it's like you have an inch like each each area has like you have an understanding of where each of the characters are and like even like that one scene where um uh you know 
Johnny being chased by two of the terrorists. And then Carl's up on the roof, slowly walking across the roof to get like his like sniper rifle to like flank him. You have an understanding of that, that that's what's happening because you have a good idea of the geography of, of the whole complex. And then, and then after that, like, you know, he, he, he falls on the fan and then he sees the, uh, you know, the centerfold and, you know, you like that whole, you just have an understanding of where everything is. And so I think that by doing that, by taking the time to establish that ge- geography, especially um, a lot of it, he does right when the terrorists appear, like he goes to the 32nd floor. He's like, Oh, these are computers. He goes to the 33rd floor. Oh, here's, uh, you know, um, uh, some construction. And then you go to the 34th, you know, like he checks out all the different floors. And so you have an, a, a deep understanding of what, like how the, the building is. And like, in a way it makes the building itself, like a character uh, of the story, you know? Um, so, yeah, I just think it's very like, I think what a lot of directors forget to do is they forgot, they forget to build up the geography and the understanding of where everything is so that when things happen, you you know exactly why the characters react in a certain way or like why, uh, yeah, so you have a better understanding of what the story, where the story is going and what's happening. Um, so I just think it's like one of those like really interesting, like it's almost like a lost art to do stuff like that. And I think it's very important for action movies that they, you know, continue to do this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just my two cents on that. I think that's a great point you made about the, uh, you know, the, the geography of the movie. Um, anything you want to add uh, Tyler? No, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I, I really, really, really am shocked as to how much I love this movie. Um, it's funny how I, I have revisited a few different eighties movies. Um, and, uh, because I, I'm because it's the eighties, but, um, like, like this and RoboCop, I, I really do feel like are two movies that stand the test of time that are so smart and so particular. Um, it's just excellent storytelling, excellent characters, extra, uh, uh, excellent acting, excellent, uh, cinematography messages and everything. They're just two, movies that like if anybody was like hey I, I what 80s movie should i watch i would be like these two in beverly hills cop and um I, you know and the thing or blade runner like it would be like the those would be like my the five movies i would tell somebody to watch if they were like wanting an 80s fix um and i haven't seen this movie <laughs> in so long in like 18 years and so definitely was completely different from what i remember because i remember it was it was fun, but then I would get bored of the talky parts because I'm just like, I just want him to kill. I just want him to, you know, to step on glass and, and you know, and and to kill people and, and curse because cursing so cool. You know, so maybe you would like the sequels then. <laughs> I don't know. All, if I would all like the, the action, none yeah. of the character <laughs> or leans nuance. In, leans really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I will watch the sequels if the we do Tyler them on this show. Like yeah. yeah. Honestly, Tyler, I, if you watch two, two is a decent but not a great sequel. But the third film is pretty much the same director and uh, writing and stuff like that. So the, the first and third films are very satisfying. The rest of them uh, are very from like decent to so bad you want to kill John McClane yourself. It's the fifth movie is so bad 
that I watched it once and vowed to never watch it again. It's it's deplorable in every sense of the word. It's 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 a pile of steaming shit inside of a bigger pile of steaming shit with corn in it. I will say this: it's terrible. I, I love Justin. <laughs> I love Justin. Well, like I added corn in there it. just to spice it up. Yeah. Um, Even yeah, this movie can't digest corn. That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. So, um, um, as as we're uh, as we're closing up or closing down, um, is there anything you guys wanted to bring up about the movie? It's like or... last call. Anybody last call for drinks? You mean you mean our final thoughts? Well, it's yes. uh, my my the well, I, I want to ask you a question about but before before we go to like final thoughts. Got it. Second comments. Is there anything you want to bring up? Yeah, sort of like a last call. Is there anything you want to bring up? Oh, oh, I thought you. <laughs> no, I'm just asking. Oh, yeah, you I thought it. you were going to bring something you... else up. I know it sounded like you were going to ask us the question. Like you're like, this is the one question I've been holding in all night. I've been prepared no. for this. I'm going to no. ask this. Okay, so what do you guys want to talk about? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. I, I wanted to say something about the very end of the movie, but I don't know if I'm getting uh, ahead of myself or what. Oh, no, of course, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, I'll go say ahead. this. So my my last thought was watching the movie again. Um, the the end it's it's really cool because it's uh you know I already mentioned my favorite kill is 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 uh you know uh Reginald getting his uh, chance to shoot yeah. in uh, can Carl I change, can I change my answer to Ellis because <laughs> I fucking yeah, hated really that guy and when he died though. I was like yeah but yeah he's like, like oh, we're, we're we're old friends I'm like mm-hmm. I mean I mean John McClane <laughs> kind of allowed him to die you know i mean i really had no choice though I know, I know. john mcclain acted I'm... more upset than he really was over that one i think yeah i wouldn't have been upset if i was john mcclain this motherfucker I mean, ellis was kind of sure. asking for it you know no a thousand percent yeah he yeah. was a yeah. chump what, what yeah. wasn't totally yeah. totally yeah. and he's you know what ellis actually reminds me a lot of but he was also kind of right in a way of who donald trump jr he's oh. very like like that kind of personality yeah Imagine that when when Ellis got shot in the head, as his head flew back, like coke mist came out of his nose. <laughs> I know, like, he was because he was like constantly like snorting coke in the movie. Oh yeah, the whole time, like he he's was like right, the ultimate eighties right, right, cliche, and, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how you get it, you introduce him. You're like he's in the uh, the office, and he has like it's all up on his nose, and uh, Takagi's like, hey, uh, this is he's a cop, you know, <laughs> and then like. Oh, yeah, that always cracks me up. But, uh, Actually, okay, I, I, I want to now say that. Ellis's death, though, was done really well where, like, you hate the character. You fucking hate the character. And, like, you expect him to show the death. And when they actually do the cutaway and it goes to John McClane's really pissed off and, like, shocked face, it actually affects you a lot more uh, than it would if they just showed him getting shot in the face. Like, let's say, like, you know, they got gory with the leg being shot, you know, with the with a machine gun, if they had showed Ellis's death, I think definitely would not have affected me as much as it did when it went to John McClane and you got to see this humanity and this real realistic reaction of a cop hearing the death of an, of an innocent person. No, you're spot on. And it's, it's, it's that the power of great filmmaking where most filmmakers wouldn't be smart enough to cut away from the shot there to John's reaction, which is way more powerful than seeing the guy get shot because that moment isn't really about his death. It's about John trying to plead. Don't do this. Don't do this. You're, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. Don't do this. 
it's 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 not about Ellis at all. It's slimy and you know scumbaggy, cokehead as he is. It's about John, and it and, and it stays about John. That's yeah, great filmmaking. Like, that is really a, a game of chess, and you know uh, Ellis is the pawn in that, but he doesn't really matter. You know, he and doesn't so it, realize it. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's in, the horrible thing about that is, yeah, he thinks he's like, like, like you said, here's, Vito. Here's, though it's like another. He, I was gonna say real quick. He's like you said, Vito. Sorry, he's God. another one of those guys who thinks he's the hero in his own movie. But the, here's the crazy thing about this, and Tyler, you brought up a good point: is that this guy is very hateable, right? You hate him, but the moment he gets shot in the head, you're like, this dude was a douchebag, but did he deserve to get shot in the face? Like, that's the thing is like he's a human being and the horror of of the idea that you're like two minutes ago I was calling this dude an asshole and now he's dead you just feel that weird guilt you were asking me like can you just kill this character and then they do it and you're like oh fuck I'm an asshole (laughs) yeah murder's not as funny as I thought (laughs) and that's another like thing that I love about Hans is like he always makes good honest threats you know he's He's a villain through and through, and so many action movies would, you know, they, they would they would be like, oh, well, he gets saved at the last moment or something, you know. What I mean? But it's like every every time, you know, he 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 always makes good in his threats, and that's what makes him like such a great villain. So I want to close I, out before, with a, before that though. I didn't actually say what my 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 thing was. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, I know. Yeah, I apologize. While I have it in my head. Um, it, it, but the thing that I loved is about the end of the movie, the actual conclusion of the film is, you know, it's this great romantic old Hollywood style moment where the couple's walking off sort of, you know, the, the walk off into the sunset more sort of moment, even though it's, you know, well after dark and the papers flying everywhere. Like it's the snow and it's, you know, that sort of this Christmassy scene they're walking through. And then the, the moment where Powell and McLean meet and, you know, they hug and, and it's just this great sort of like, old Hollywood moment where the resolution in the movie though is great. That's where uh, Carl comes back. Um, and, I, and when, as I was re- watching it, I was like, Oh yeah, this is where it reminds you. This is an action movie. It's like all this character stuff is great. It makes it a better action movie, but this is still an action movie. So we got to end on this kind of note. And it's like, bam. And you know, he gets shot, but that like the way that moment is all executed and built up. I just, I just loved watching it again. So that was mine. That was yeah, all I was going to say. But. And that's such a great payoff with Al, and he's saying like how he shot a kid, and that's why he works at a desk. And so it paid off by him like killing Carl and saving John at the last moment. It's such a, like a yeah. I mean, this movie is just a fucking fantastic. It's just it's 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 one of the best tightly written scripts, I think. Even though they were writing it as they were going along, but like everything has a payoff, and it all makes sense. Like David Mamet once said. When you're writing a screenplay, it should end in a way that completely surprises you, but it should also be the only logical conclusion to the story. That A plus B has to equal C, but that C still surprises you. That's that's the trick of being a writer. And I think they pull that off in that screenplay so well. I don't think it's ever, as you guys were saying, there have been so many ripoffs there's only one Die Hard. There's only one. It's it's practically a perfect movie. There are there are flaws in it, but like I can watch that Pulp Fiction, Jaws. There are a couple other ones, The Godfather, where you're like, it's so good. I don't see anything bad about it. Like even the flaws are amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, I, yeah, I well, love this movie. So I want to close out 
with a simple question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Let me know your thoughts. It yes. was released in Next July. Question. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing a Christmas sweater. Yes, I'll tell you why watching it, and it's a short answer. They use Christmas music as part of the soundtrack and the score of the film. That's for me, like, yeah. I, I think it's a Christmas movie because I've seen a lot of violent bullshit that's happened in Christmas movies, like Home Alone, Deck the Halls, uh, Christmas in the Cranks. You see a lot of fucked up stuff in all these Christmas movies, and this movie still has the best message I've seen in any Christmas movie ever. Um, like, yeah, this is a Christmas movie. This is the best Christmas movie. This is the probably the, the, the Christmas movie with the most heart in it. And um, you get one of the best bromances of all time. And uh, and it kickstarted Bruce Willis's career. So, uh, yeah, take that, Christmas Story. <laughs> How about you, Vito? What do you think? I, I, I'm definitely in the camp that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and so is Gremlins. And uh, I will... Oh. I will go to the mat, you know, arguing for both of those movies that they take place during Christmas. I mean, look, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is considered a Thanksgiving movie. It ends on Thanksgiving, but it's considered a Thanksgiving movie. So why would Die Hard and Gremlins, which obviously feature Christmas imagery and music throughout, not be considered Christmas movies? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I agree. I I believe uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and mainly the reason why I feel that way is that, uh, you know, it's 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 a man redeeming himself and and getting his family back. You know, his like family was torn asunder, and you know they were kind of on the outs um, because Holly took this job, and he felt like it, it wasn't going to work out, and um, and they rekindled their relationship and like became a family again. And that's a very like Christmas oriented theme. Uh, and in a way, it's just, it's, it's, just, it's just a more violent. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Oh, fuck. I was going to hey, point that out. How about that? Holly got on wings. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, I was going to make the connection actually. Just like, I'm, I'm I, was, I, I didn't even think about it ahead. You made it for me. So it was purely you. I, yeah. <laughs> You set it up. McLean reaches yeah, into his pocket. Zuzu's bullets. I'm totally like this, and I have on my back a poster of a VHS of It's a Wonderful Life, and I throw it at Paul's face. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it was taped to my back. I see that. With Christmas that's tape. I, that's what I do with people with my Green Lantern poster. I'm like, take that. Ha ha. Kidding. Um, so, yeah. guys, I, I did want to point something out that is relevant to the idea of this being a Christmas movie and the family coming together. This is something that I just learned this week, which is really amazing. So the subplot, as, as Josiah pointed out in the book, it was about his daughter, the estrangement. The thing that made Jeb Stewart turn it into his wife was that he was driving along the 101 one evening. It was a, a refrigerator truck in front of him, like a, like a, it actually had real refrigerators, like it was shipping them somewhere. And the back opened and a refrigerator box flew at his car. And in that moment, he realized he was about to die, and he and his wife had just had an argument before he left, and he was like, I'm going to die, and I never told her I was sorry. And the box hit his car. It was empty. And he realized, I have to get home right now and apologize to my wife and never let us argue again. And that was what made him write the scene where McLean pulls glass out of his feet and apologizes to his wife. And then he went back and added... 
the rest of the arguments with Holly and stuff like that, he back wrote it into the story. So we owe that to a real incident that happened where he almost died and realized that he needed to be better to his wife. That's pretty cool, right? They need we need to go like <laughs> the, wherever that was on like the four oh five and put like a little plaque. Right? It's like final like final destination. It'd be amazing. On this spot, Jeb Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> you get run over by like forty five semis trying to put it on the freeway, but still. Right? Well, they're, right. They're, I mean, they're going like three miles an hour, so. Yeah. Before we go, though, Vito, you teased that so with a little bit of the of the uh, Die Hard 5. What was this? Nonsense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, six, thank right? you for bringing that up. So it would have been. It would have been, it would have been Die Hard 6. Um, I, I can't believe that they didn't buy this. But so there was a there's a British screenwriter who wrote a uh, a screenplay called Old Habits Die Hard. The idea is that McLean is now this older kind of broken. His body is like completely to the point where he's got like a replacement knee and he's just on the outs, you know, and everything like that. He's still with Holly. Everything's kind of, you know, winding down in his life. And he gets an invitation from the Nakatomi Corporation for the 30th anniversary of his saving the Nakatomi building. They fly his family and Zeus from the third film. Japan and they're in the other Nakatomi building. The Yakuza, it turns out that the Yakuza were involved with Hans Gruber and with with the the caper that was in the first movie. Yakuza shut the building down and attack and it's McLean now older and decrepit and not able to fight as well and Zeus in this building taking on the Yakuza in a new Nakatomi Plaza. It would have been fucking amazing. And, and Zeus, by the way, Tyler, Tyler, that's Sam Jackson from the third movie. Yeah, Samuel oh, Jackson. So, yeah, so just so you understand, just imagine. Okay. But why, why, wouldn't, Sam why, Jackson. Wouldn't, why wouldn't Al Powell be there? Why wouldn't Al Powell be there? I can't, I can't remember why he didn't have him in the screenplay, but he did release it as a book, which I purchased and have not read. It's called Old Habits, and it's on Amazon. And it's basically, so Fox bought this screenplay from the guy after, after he pitched it, and they were going to make it as Die Hard 6. And then Len Wiseman came along and said he wanted to do Die Hard Year One, which would have been a flashback to McLean's first year on The Force, the younger actor playing... Bruce Willis, and they scrapped this amazing idea, which I think it was a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, because who doesn't want to, you know, I want to see Bruce Willis and not a guy acting like Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah. And you, and here's the thing, you can do both. Like, you can still do your bad prequel, but you can only do that awesome sequel for a limited time. Like, there's a small window. And do you really need to explain John McClane, like, his origins? Like, is that really the best yeah. narrative direction to go? So yeah. yeah, origin stories always suck. Um, unless well, I mean, yeah, I mean it's because when you know where a character ends up, you don't need to see Darth Vader become Darth Vader because Darth Vader is a badass. You 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 get the idea of what happened when they show it. It takes away from the character instead of building it up. That's just a, a personal opinion. Um, may I, if you guys will indulge me, want for one more second? I wanted to read off some of the funny. Names of Die Hard in other countries where they didn't know what Die Hard meant. But okay, so in 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 Hungary, the first three Die Hard films are called "Give Your Life Expensive," "Your Life Is More Expensive," 
and The Life is Always Expensive. So that's the name of the three Die Hard movies, the first three, at least in Hungary. Uh, in, in Finland, the movie is called Only Over My Dead Body, which I think is hilarious. In that Serbia, like a that's, that's a Bond movie. That sounds like a Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. It totally sounds like a Bond movie. This is my favorite. In Serbia, the movie is called Die Manly, which is freaking hilarious. And uh, its alternate title is Skupo Prodaj Svoju Kozu, which means sell your skin at a high price, which sounds like a really bad uh, spaghetti western starring Rick Dalton. But I thought, I thought that was really funny that they... That's the literal translations of things where you're like, you can't quite... It's, you have to understand the culture to get what the phrase means. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, even my daughter, right? My, so my, my, my wife is Vietnamese, so my, my daughters have Vietnamese names. And my, my older daughter, Penelope, her middle name is Tan Thuy. And, like, I've we've spent years trying to figure out what it means. But it's, like, an expression that, like, means the feeling of peace you have when you're by a stream. Like that's like the best way you can describe it. But like that, it took us years to like. She's only four, but it took us like all like forever to figure that out. It's like, oh, that's what it means. Because <laughs> different people would tell us different Amazing. things. So, absolutely. All righty, we should probably end this soon, Paul. <laughs> Please check out So Fast and Furious podcast. My final thought in this movie is that I literally think this has the one of the best bromances I've ever seen. Um, Reginald Bell Johnson is amazing. Um, Bruce Willis is fantastic. Alan Rickman just knocks it out of the park. Uh, Ellis's death was great. And um, I give this movie, um, you know, four giraffes out of uh, two koalas. So, Oh, that's mighty fine praise. <laughs> I, did, I wanted to come up with something random and stupid. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, as you should be. As you should. No, I, give, I, I think this movie is definitely a, a 9 out of 10 for me. Cool. All right. Like that's about it. Uh, <laughs> so okay. thank you guys. Say, like so, uh, the, the last things for me, right? Uh, nothing about the movie, but be sure to uh, find me at Josiah is right W R I T E as in writer on YouTube and Instagram, and make sure, as you know, you you are regular listeners, subscribe to us on YouTube at Grangy Gathering here, and subscribe to me at Josiah is right on YouTube, and you will be entered to win a T-shirt. So you have to be subscribed to both channels and then comment on this video and comment on a video on my channel and you can win a t-shirt. So it won't be a Mickey Mouse ugly uh, Christmas sweater, but it'll be an awesome Popmosa shirt, Grand Gate Gathering shirt, or Josiah is Right shirt. So be sure to do that. And uh, you can find me on Instagram as Arcade Blackfire and uh, doing, doing this, Popmosis. Yeah. Vito, where can they find you and all the other stuff? All the plugs. Uh, I am I am on Instagram as uh, the title that you may or may not see here on the screen, the underscore last underscore Shogun. Uh, you can also find So Fast, So Furious on uh, all of your favorite podcatchers. And uh, I also uh, just released, well, I didn't release, but I, I did my first professional animation voiceover work for a short film That's called right. Two Grim Brothers, The Mouse, The Sausage, or excuse me, The Mouse, The Bird, and The Sausage, which... Uh, is very dirty and very funny, and I'm very proud of it. So please check that out on YouTube. You did amazing. You did so many voices. Thank you. Thank you. Crazy. I'm excited so to check it out. And um, all righty. Well, thank you. 
Thank you for listening in. You can check out all of our shows and offerings on thegrandgeekgathering.com for our articles, our other podcasts, our videos, and so much more. I stream on Twitch as well. We have a Discord. Join it. Join in on the fun. We have a lot of fun. And also Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. The music has been provided by Carlisle Laurent. Go listen to So Fast, So Furious. Go to Josiah's right um, YouTube channel as well. That video that you did about um, the, the, late, the last one you just did about um, the Empire or about uh, Star Wars. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes, Star Wars yes. Holiday Special. So find that on my YouTube channel, <laughs> Star Wars Holiday Special. He does a great video on that. And uh, yeah, thank you guys. Wear a mask. Have a wonderful week and GGG. Yeah. So what's on the silver screen? I got some takes you wouldn't believe. Grand Geek Gathering.